Welcome to another episode of the LeafCast. Takes by Leaf for Leaf. Yo, it's another crazy day. I guess that should be the refrain for every episode. It's another crazy day. Um, before we get started into in terms of some of the current events that are going on, there's definitely some current events going on. I wanted to share a brief story with the audience and to me, the best stories are the true stories, right? Not the ones that you make up. Back in the day, um, when my daughter was about four and my son was about one, you know, I decided it was 4th of July and um, I'm going to take these guys out to uh, see the 4th of July parade. So, and then, you know, if for, for those of you who have kids, and especially of those of you who have kids at a young age, you understand that, especially on the weekends or like long weekends, as much as those are great times because you're just chilling with the family, you know, a, a one and a four-year-old, there's engagement all the time. So you're just kind of a, it's a, it's a lot, it's a lot going on. So, you know, my whole thing was, hey, we'll go out to the, you know, we'll check out the parade. You know, dad will just zoom, zoom out for a minute. And, you know, we'll just chill. So it'll be great. So we go out to the parade. It's on Constitution Avenue. It's the main kind of thoroughfare in uh, the District of Columbia. And that's the pathway of the parade. So we watch the parade. And there's, you know, the high school uh, groups, um, bands from high school bands from other towns. You know, it's, it's all, you've seen parades. You can imagine them going on the great music you know the whole deal you know and um so we got a good position to sit and we're kind of sitting on it because you know the, the way they have it parked here you can sit on the sidewalk so we're sitting on the sidewalk and we're watching the parade and i'm pointing out the different things to the kids about the parade and i see coming down the uh street in the parade is a bunch of white women dressed up in these antebellum, you know, costumes, kind of looking like, uh, you know, Gone with the Wind, extras from Gone with the Wind. They've got these bonnets on, they've got wicker baskets, and they're skipping. And in my mind, the skipping, as I think about it later on, was probably my first, should have been my first key that some shit was off. So they're skipping and they're handing out flags during the parade. Now keep in mind it's fourth it's fourth of July parade. So people have been handing out flags, you know, as they move down the procession. That's not foreign or new. So I'm sitting there, my two kids, and uh, my kids were, you know, I'm in the middle of them, and this woman's skipping down. One of the one of these women is skipping down. And as she gets closer, and I can see the sign of the procession that she's in, and it says Sisters of the Confederacy. And in my mind, I'm like, are you talking about, like, the Confederacy Confederacy? Like, it's just a weird, like, you know. It, so, anyway, so this woman skips up to my daughter and puts a flag in her hand and then proceeds to skip away. I instinctively grab said flag because it's a fucking Confederate flag. And now I'm standing up and I'm about to have, at the very least, words with this white babe who gave my daughter a Confederate flag. Behind me were two black police officers, one male, one female. And I remember the black police officer 
put a hand on my shoulder and, and it wasn't a menacing hand. It wasn't, you know, anything that I took to be inappropriate or offensive. And he just said, calm down. And I'm glad that that happened because I know for a fact the interaction that I was going to have with that white woman wouldn't have been good for me or her. But I say, I share this story because I think it's important. I know, you know, again, it's emblematic of me of it doesn't matter what you do in your lifetime your status as a black person and how blacks are treated in this country like shit has not changed now the degrees of said second class status has changed and fluctuated but we are still second class citizens grandfather and so on and so forth is going to be the experience that my children will go through. Maybe not on the same degree, but the experience of being a second-class citizen is an experience that they will encounter. And there's nothing that I can do to protect them from that. All I can do is get them mentally ready to embrace that acknowledgement or understand that acknowledgement. So it's a challenging time for me just in terms of processing what is going on or what is taking place and being a, just to just to work, right? So I personally refuse to give any white person the satisfaction of expressing even one-tenth of my thoughts or emotions as it relates to any of this. I'm not going to do it. You know, you know, at my job, I get paid to do certain tasks, and none of those tasks have anything to do with making you feel better as a white person or trying to make you understand racism or, or, or bigotry or any of it. I'm, I'm not, that's not my job. So, it's hard. So, I'm, you know, just for instance, so Friday, the Friday, you know, and again, this is riots are happening. And Friday, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing a staff call with my boss. It's, you know, four, she's got, you know, several direct reports and we're all on the call. And again, there's nothing nefarious about the comment. It's not an attack on the, my boss at all to say she's a bad person or anything. But she says, you know, hey guys, you know, at the end of the call, is there, and I just want to correct, make sure I phrase it right, just, just want to phrase it properly, that she goes, is there, you know, does anyone have any exciting plans for the weekend? And I wanted to say to her, how about staying alive? My plan for the weekend is to stay alive and to keep my family alive. That's my plan. But I obviously did not say that. Well, you know, we're going to try to, you know, hang out in the family and, you know, some, let me say some bullshit. But the point is, you know, again, I don't, and I'm happy for white people 
who are actively protesting with black folks as it relates to the treatment of black folks because not every white person's out there is some type of um you know white militant with their own agenda and we can get to that whole topic later you know there's some white folk that actually are standing in solidarity of, with black folks issues that's happened since you know that's always happened in the civil rights movement and to me this is just nothing this is just a more up-to-date version of the civil rights movement so that's always going to happen so it is, you know, I am happy that these folk are walking and protesting with black folk and are, you know, that's all great and dandy. But the racial divide is called a divide for a purpose or a reason. And the whole, you know, and again, the reality is it doesn't matter how much white people align themselves with black movements. And I'm not against any white person who wants to do that. But they could never experience what I have experienced. And the experience, especially when you become a parent, is less about your experience and more about what your children's experience will be. So... You, again, as a parent, I'm obviously concerned about the well-being of my family as it relates to the pandemic. I'm concerned about, you know, the well-being of my family as it relates to the economy. And then the underlying concern, which has always existed, is one of safety as it relates to race, of just being black. But now that is exacerbated. And it's an exacerbated in a way because, look, people don't they say things just for the fuck of saying them. And what I mean by that is, you know, from politics, there's a rhyme and reason behind everything. Trump has made a calculated decision. So there's kind of two factions within his political spectrum, or at least as best I can ascertain. There's the Jared Kushner spectrum, and then there's the more far-right spectrum of his thinking. Neither one of them are good, but they're different calculus in terms of how you get to a win in the Electoral College. Kushner's perspective and his team's perspective is, in order for you to win, you've got to grow where you are right now in terms of white suburban voters, white female suburban voters, right? Got to grow white women. And you got to grow the seniors. So those are the two big things that they're concerned about. And the thought process is, if you go out and you start calling black folks thugs and all this other bullshit, that doesn't help with those two constituencies Moreover than that, if you go out and do those things, it takes away from the third prong of the Kushner re-election pathway, which is typically black folks vote for Republicans in the presidential uh, election. A Republican uh, nominee gets about 3 to 5% of the vote at best. So if you can get 10, you can get 15, you get greedy, you get 20. 
That's a death nail to Biden. That goes right to the heart of his base. Hence, when this whole you ain't black thing came up, Trump was so quick to pounce on it because that was one strategy. The other strategy is, yo, fuck these other people. Let's just feed to our base, which is white men, uneducated white dudes, uh, evangelicals, that group. Let's just, boom, give the red meat to that base. It sounded like initially the first statement that Trump put out, something along the lines of, hey, you know, sorry about the dude dying. Shit's fucked up. Let's all just chill. And then it went to thugs. And then he's hiding under the bank bunker, talking about menacing, you know, uh, vicious dogs and menacing weapons. And then he's, 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 he's fucking silent, go silent until Monday. So literally where, when, when we, when I, I cut the last episode, it was literally critiquing him for being a coward and not saying anything as it relates to the protests. But then Monday, you know, he, he manned up and he goes out in the Rose Garden and he says some bullshit. Um, doesn't really matter. It's more about dominating people, which is a weird word to use, especially as it relates to American citizens. You know, we talked earlier about the second class or being perceived as subhuman. They always try to, 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 to they all they they're use always use try to use some catchy phrases to get you back to that point about black folk. So during Katrina initially they were calling black folk refugees. <laughs> it's like I was calling refugees, right? Because if you call them refugees in your mind, that gives them less of a humanity than an American citizen. And so now the protesters are thugs. And he's going to, you know, hey, we're going to uh, dominate these dudes. He says this. And while he's saying that, they're literally throwing, you know, smoking to the crowd, slapping up dudes like they're going into the protesters. The National Guard is the Secret Service, whoever these motherfuckers are. And they're going in hard like they're cracking heads. And they're moving people out of the way. They, they started doing this literally. So it was time. So this is what the president's thought process was. So the crazy right wingers, they went out in his head. And they say, hey, you got to be this law and order candidate. Or law and order president. So you're going to make this manly address in the Rose Garden. And then you're going to take a walk down to this church which had been vandalized and burned in some famine or the other day during the protest, and you're going to hold a Bible. Because, right, this is all to his base. So this is the plan. So you got to remember, for him to be able to get to the church, there can't be protesters, right? So the guy who I fuck with the most in the Trump administration is Bill fucking Barr. William Barr. I don't know what's fatter on Mr. Barr, his gut or his balls. 
Because William Barr doesn't give a fuck. So, <laughs> William Barr is the Attorney General. And before we talk about William Barr for a second, and before we talk about this whole, hey, law and order, I'm going to make this march down to this church, I want to read you some, some facts about William Barr. In 1992, Barr authored a report, The Case for More Incarceration, which argued for increase in the United States incarceration rate, the creation of a national program to construct more prisons, and the abolition of parole release. Barr said in the report, the benefits of increased incarceration would be enjoyed disproportionately by black Americans. Yo, this dude. This dude has always been this dude. He has always been Bill Big Balls Bar. That's who he has been. And his thought process is, hey, you know what we should do? Lock up all the niggers. And somehow that'll make things better. More prisons, more black people in prison. Let's go. This is 1992. He dropped this classic. The case for more incarceration. So now let's fast forward again to your law and order president. The problem with Trump trying to, and this is what I, I this is this is my mind. This is poor political strategy of nothing else. But the problem with you know kind of walking around and prancing around and showboating as you are the law and order president is that you are the incumbent. When Nixon made the case that he was the law and order candidate, he was running for president. Okay? He's running for president. There are riots across America and he makes the pitch to America, the American citizens, you elect me I will give you law and order. I'm going to tamp down on all that bullshit. So, the presumption behind the law and order candidate, not only is it a dog whistle for suppression of African Americans and their right to free speech, it also suggests that the current president is soft. He's weak. Think about it for a second. I am the law and order candidate, ergo, the person who is in charge right now is not. Now, let's apply that same thinking to the president and how he hopes to position himself currently, which is, he is the law and order president. Well, the question is, who is he contrasting himself to? Who is the weak person here? Is it the person that hid under the bunker? In Friday, I hit under his desk in the bunker, sucking his fucking thumb. Is that the is that the weak guy? Is it the guy who fucking can't even make a public appearance and speak to the protesters? Instead, issues these fucking cyber bully messages about menace of vicious dogs and menacing weapons. So again, the president and his crack team are going to execute this plan. Right? They've had all weekend to work it up. 
right? It's going to be great. So, Bill Barr, so while, before the president gives his speech, Bill Barr walks, does the walk, going to the uh, church. He does kind of like a dry run of the walk. And, you know, people are talking shit to him. Fuck you, Bill Barr, blah, 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 you know, whatever. He, after he does the walk, he talks to somebody in security. He's like, oh, you got to move all these motherfuckers out of here. So remember, this is the Bill Barr who literally his thought was like, you know what? We really need more jails. Like, that's the thing. This is, again, this is in 1992. In his thought process, the solution was more jails. So in his mind, he rapid, get, get all these motherfuckers out of here. So, yeah, they start, you know, doing all this stuff or whatever, you know, beating these people up and knocking them out of the way and rushing them out of the way. And it breaks up the whole protest. Tear gas, the whole nut. Then Trump does this walk with like, you know, these people behind him. He's got all these guys behind him and he does this walk. And in the picture, so see, I guess for whatever the reason, his team decided, you know, what would be a good idea. Go to the church and hold up a Bible. And the way that he's holding the Bible is though he's like one of the models on the Price is Right, kind of like pointing to the object, like, don't you want the object? I think at one point in time, he even had the Bible upside down. He shows the camera the spine of the Bible to say, yes, this is indeed, I have a Bible. You know, doesn't read from said Bible. Um, doesn't, you know, interact with anybody, you know, the, the, anybody at the church or anything. Just decides, hey, I'm going to stand outside this boarded church and I'm going to hold the Bible and I think in many ways that's emblematic of his leadership all talk zero substance like that's what you've gotten from him a lot of bluster a lot of bravado but at the end of the day what the fuck did he really accomplish and you know you can pose that question not just to black folk but to white America as well. Like, what has he accomplished? He told you he was going to build a wall. Is there a wall? There is not a fucking wall. There are slabs of metal that are sticking up on the western, excuse me, the southwestern border of the United States of America. That's not a fucking wall. A wall is some type of continuous border, and that's not what he has created. Mexico has not paid for said wall, so that was some bullshit. He has not repealed the Affordable Care Act. That was some bullshit. Um, he did give a lot of tax breaks. Okay, I will give him credit for that. He gave, you know, every corporation, of, you know, thousands of tax breaks. And then on top of those tax breaks, he gave them a whole bunch of bailouts. Gave the Lakers a bailout, gave everybody a bigger fucking bailout. So, things that he can say that he has done, he's appointed more whack job judges. Okay, that's more, you know, that's more McConnell than him, but hey, he it was there on his time, so you give him that. So, crazy judges, um, some type of impartial barricade that people literally are drilling their ways through as we speak right now. Um, and that's kind of about it. Yeah, that's <laughs> some bailouts. That's because that's really what the tax breaks were. They were corporate bailouts. So that's kind of what he's that, that's his greatest hits. So, the thing that he wanted to run on was, hey, how vibrant the economy has been. 
But in reality, what he is running on is that every opportunity for him to show leadership, good or bad, anything, it is just, it is just, it's gone to, it's, it's, it's become like an elderly person shitting in a diaper. There's a difference between a baby shit in a diaper and an old, like a 90-year-old person shit in a diaper. That's what this is. It's a 90-year-old person with, like, dementia shit in a diaper. So it's probably been there for a little bit because that person's kind of lost their mind. They don't even recognize they've shit themselves. And it's just been festering until whoever is the poor CNN, CNA has to walk over there and clean that shit up. That's what his leadership is. <laughs> so, I know, you know, that can be graphic, but I, I try to do a little bit of this to invoke some laughter uh, because these are trying times. Even if you're not physically protesting, you can turn on any television station right now and there are images of black folk literally fighting for their lives fighting against the pandemic and fighting against oppression. And it's sobering. It creates all of these, you know, emotions within not only myself, but I'm sure you as a listening audience. You know, and I don't have a remedy for it. I wish I did or something that can say, oh, if you just think about it this way, you know, your, your, your mindset will be different. But I know at times like this, the mental fatigue uh, is huge. It is, you know, it, it sucks up all the oxygen in the room, at least for me, and just in terms of the plight of black folk that is being played out on the television stations. In closing, I want to give you this one stat. And then I want to go back and talk about the protest for a second. According to a report from the Economic Policy Institute titled Racism and the Economic Inequality Have Predisposed Black Workers to Be Most Hurt by the Coronavirus. More than one in six black workers lost their jobs between February and April. Further, their study finds that as of April, less than half of the adult black population was employed. Think about that for a second. As of April, less than half of the adult black population was employed. I don't think these people are just going to go back home because the president called them thugs. I don't think these black folk are going to go back home because Bill Barr is going to issue some type of credence or ordinance to indicate that the federal troops can now occupy Washington, D.C. I don't think these black folk are going home. I think at the end of the day, the federal government's response to these protests is emblematic 
of the inherent racism and the second class treatment of black folk. For your knee jerk reaction when a body of your population, American citizens, are crying out in pain for equality, and your response is violence or the threat of violence, that speaks to you. That speaks to you, speaks to your character, it speaks to your morality. So it's a crazy time out there. Um, you know, and I want the listening audience, if anything else that comes from these podcasts is one of, hey, the feelings that you feel, we all feel as black folk. It doesn't matter status, job, etc. We're all black folk. And the pain that we feel, the hurt that we feel right now, let that hurt not take you to a place of giving up. Let that hurt inspire you. Inspire you to do everything in your power to affect change. And what I mean by that is, let's vote. Yo, I appreciate everybody for their time. As I always say, let's stay safe, stay situated, stay calm, stay positive. Peace.